Hello and welcome to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 41. In this week's Minute, Nathaniel is cordially invited to share some coffee with the boys. We are greeted by the moon and enjoy Cappy's Song of Lament. Get ready to set sail on Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 41. Welcome back to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 41. Welcome to the second half of the movie. As we know, Nathaniel has served some fish stick kitties, embodied a half-assed Edgar Bergen to make Paps's fish stick kitty talk at him. To which now Paps replies, Here, have some coffee. Lifts up the large coffee urn. Puts his finger on the bottom and uh, sprays Nathaniel all over with coffee. That spraying of the coffee does not seem to work the way that he is doing it. I mean, he does not move the nozzle to on. He just puts his finger on it and tilts it back. That would not seem to create any sort of spray by doing that. So I was thinking about this, because I had the same conclusion, like, watching it. It's like, that's not how that works. But there is a cut. You know, there's a quick cut as he's kind of moving the urn. And I'm guessing in that cut, that is where he has opened the valve for the coffee. If the coffee urn is completely full, there's probably enough pressure in there of the coffee trying to flow out of that nozzle that he could put his finger on the bottom and have it spray. But it would have to be right. The nozzle does move orientation. And I guess we have to assume this is cold coffee. There's no steam coming up. Nathaniel doesn't appear to be burnt by the coffee. So Nathaniel then responds with, uh, "Paps, you're such a little card." Gives him a little uh, familiar hug. Mm -hmm. Paps tries to get away from the hug, but you know Nathaniel leans right in there. Uh, When Nathaniel gets sprayed. Good laugh for the whole crew. Everybody has a great time. We get a good reaction shot of Skunk enjoying uh, Nathaniel's discomfort. Paps manages to uh, blow a whole mouthful of smoke right into Nathaniel's face. Yes. Then Nathaniel, recovering from his uh, coffee shower, says, Now where is that naughty captain? He knows it's supper time. Looking around the cabin. Projecting some real confidence here in this moment. You know. This is true. Yeah. He's, he's owning his role, right? Yeah. He's really proud of his fish stick kitties is what he is. Well, understandably. I mean, he did he, he did a great them. job with them. Yeah. Supper. Originally a secondary lighter evening meal. And uh, the main meal of the day called dinner used to be served closer to lunchtime in the middle of the day, but has crept later over the centuries, mostly over the course of the 19th century. Dinner, previously your midday meal, followed by a lighter meal in the evening. Dinner eventually moved towards the end of the day, lunch replacing it as the midday meal. There was still occasionally a supper that followed up dinner, sometimes after a grand ball, perhaps, uh, if you were part of the nobility. Uh, But nowadays, supper usually used as a synonym for dinner, occasionally describes a light snack or meal in the evening, 
not used quite as often as it used to be. So then we uh, cut to what I believe is that miniature again. So we see the somewhat smiling face in a full moon. It's a creepy smiling face. Is what it, it is, is a creepy smiling face. <laughs> and just to jump ahead to the commentary a little bit, the moon blinks. Once. Blink. Slowly. In the commentary, you know, Resnick kind of lights up. So he says, watch. Look, look at the moon. They said we can give you. I said, can we make it do a little something? They said, well, you can, you know, budget-wise, we can make it blink once if you want that. (laughs) (laughs) And he just said, all right, fine. I'll take it. Oh, man. How much harder would it have been to add some additional animation? You're already going in and doing, like, the blinking. Like, would it really take that much more effort to add some additional, like, facial expressions? The uh, the crew just being like, mm, nah, we can't do that. I mean, and then the face itself, again, is that animation? Did they make a whole puppet? I mean, if especially considering that they're saying that, you know, budget-wise, we could only... It can't be a puppet, because then why would it matter how many times you blinked it right you would just blink it twice i think my guess is that that's some kind of animation yeah that that was the effort that they had to make that cost so much money for them to animate the the face of the moon and it blinking once on there there's been a lot of uh legends of a man in the moon what in history says you so the moon is composed of these dark. Jeez. <laughs> so the moon is composed of these dark areas of lunar maria or seas. Ah. And the lighter highlands of the lunar surface. So the maria are large areas formed by lava that covered up old craters and then cooled, becoming smooth basalt rock. Mm. So it does make up a sort of contrast on the moon's face. And, uh, I mean, I've heard this before. Uh, Aldous Huxley talks about it, that the human brain is kind of configured for facial recognition to, like, pick faces out of things. So people have picked out, uh, you know, pictures in the moon. And there's been other things. There's, a, you know, like a rabbit or a rabbit driving a car. And uh, Pink Floyd's Breathe from Dark Side of the Moon. There is the line, run, rabbit, run. There you go. All right. So after that shot, we see Cappy playing what is known as... A concertina, not a hexagonal accordion, as I originally (laughs) wrote down. Concertina, we can hear it just starting to come in on that one exterior shot. You know, you hear there's the rumbling of the thunder in the background, and you hear the, the music start playing. Yeah, his uh, his concertina. So the concertina is a free reed musical instrument like the various accordions and the harmonica. Mm. It has buttons or keys on both ends, unlike accordion buttons, which are on the front. It was developed independently in both England and Germany. 
The English version was developed in 1829 by Sir Charles Wheatstone, while Carl Friedrich Ulig introduced the German version five years later in 1834. Mm -hmm. This whole scene with Cappy here Mm -hmm. is a direct call-out. I would say the most clear call-out to the source material or the movie that it's parodying here, Captain's Courageous. Yes, agreed. Because in Captain's Courageous, there is an almost identical scene with the young lad and the main character, who isn't the captain, but kind of has that mentorship quality to him, played by Spencer Tracy, the character Mm -hmm. of Manuel in Captain's Courageous. And in that scene in Captain's Courageous, Manuel plays an instrument that is not the concertina, but something known as the hurdy-gurdy. Yes. The hurdy-gurdy is a stringed instrument that produces sound by a hand crank. The name hurdy-gurdy is a, an example of onomatopoeia. So the name comes from the repetitive warble in pitch that characterizes these instruments. It's a completely ridiculous instrument. Yeah. Don't need a church to find my way, because I found heaven with Essie May. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the lyrics in the song for, in a moment. So a couple of things that I didn't notice. When Nathaniel comes out from the staircase, he appears to put his apron down, and he's got the little plate with the one fish stick kitty on it. I, I never saw that. Yeah, yeah. He's bringing Cappy his dinner, knows to go find him. I like that the uh, he's managed to secure the kitty to the plate. <laughs> As he's carrying it, it doesn't fall off. Puts the plate with the fish stick kitties down and settles down next to Cappy. Just the look on his face. Staring at Cappy as Cappy begins to sing. There's a sensuality to it. <laughs> there is. I mean, again, it's one of those moments that only Chris Elliott could have performed. The concertina actions that Cappy does clearly do not sync up with the music. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sings it beautifully, I I think, in all seriousness. Yeah. yeah, no. Quite the baritone. So when I go ashore and get my pay, I'll go and meet my S.E. May. Okay. So the sailor returns from his fishing trip, presumably. These are, these are fishermen. We're assuming this is a fishing song. Gets home, gets back to shore, gets back to dock. This is clearly not the captain of the vessel. This is simply a a crewman. Receives his share from whatever uh, fish has been caught on that trip. And then uh, goes to meet Miss Essie May, who, as we will find out, is likely a uh, prostitute of some sort. I I mean, is that the clear implication from these first two I mean, the pay doesn't necessarily have to equate. uh, He could just want to take his girl out on a date. I mean, that is a possibility. The further content of the song, though, indicates that she is a lady of the night who makes her money through relations with sailors, both uh, one sailor at a time and in groups. (laughs) She could just be very nice. She could. <laughs> Most prostitutes are. All right. So she'll hike her skirt and toss her shoe 
the shoe toss. Well, what's what's going on there? I mean, uh, clearly, uh, being a poet myself, sometimes <laughs> you just have to throw in a word because it's going to make a good rhyme. <laughs> Uh, could it be, you know, we know Cappy likes to dance. Maybe she needs the shoe, throws the shoe to get him to stop dancing and get in bed. Next line. She'll clean my pipes, my buddies too. Yeah, this is a dead giveaway for the prostitute, I think, at this point. I think we're we're all assuming there's really no other way to go here. I, well, she could be a plumber. Look, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I would even go a step further, which we have evidence for. They're pipe smokers. Cappy smokes a pipe. He has a very nice pipe. We imagine the other shipmates, you know, I know they smoke cigars and cigarettes and probably pipes. Um, All right. So he goes ashore. He gets paid. They've been smoking on the whole trip. He goes to meet Essie May, who owns a pipe shop. She hikes up her skirt to sit at her workbench, kicks off her shoes because she's getting comfortable, and then proceeds to clean their pipes, which are, you know, filthy after weeks at sea with, you know, no real means to clean the pipes. Yeah. Then, of course, he needs the he needs money to pay for her services. Uh-huh. And that's heaven. Heaven is a is a clean cigar pipe. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Calm down. That's the only metaphor. So, so to finish this up, you know, the last two lines, don't need a church to find my way because I found heaven with S.E. May. Presumably, the pipe shop is easy to find and he doesn't need to use the church as a like, you know, a milestone or a marker in the town. He just can easily make his way to the pipe shop. Perhaps it's right off the docks where they bring the ship in. And uh, S.E. May just does such a great job. That it's it's like being in heaven when he gets his clean pipe back. Maybe her last name is Heaven. The name of the shop is Heaven's Pipes. Sure. Yeah. Or, or clearly, <laughs> I mean the the level of bizarre shit that they are encountering out there. They, they must be smoking PCP or something. <laughs> those pipes that you know will bring them to heaven some uh, other world uh, by s- smoking their pipes so you know they're finding heaven with Essie May she's enabling them to continue in their pipe intake well if she if she owns a pipe shop uh it's probably reasonable that she supplies tobacco and other smokables to the sailors which could include PCP laced tobacco mm-hmm. or other right. hallucinogens so she is clearly a tradesperson, uh, you know, taxable venture. <laughs> and uh, I think you all owe Essie May an apology. For ma- making assumptions. Yeah. I'm not apologizing yet. <laughs> well, if this Essie May is not, in fact, a, a proprietor of a pipe and tobacco shop, but is actually a prostitute... You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how she's making her money. And uh, there's no, no reason to have any negative connotation associated with that. I well, have a theory that Essie May is the namesake for the filthy whore that Cappy both named his ship and wrote a song for her. Essie mm. May is the filthy whore. Wow. Mm. So the figurehead is Essie May. 
I mean, I guess that is a good point. I mean, they, they are on a ship called the Filthy Whore, and that these lyrics, if Essie May was the Filthy Whore, let's suspend the most obvious conclusion that she is a pipe store proprietor. There's the kind of the ownership that he claims of Essie May with the line, my Essie May. So he's clearly familiar with this woman and that either implies that he sees her regularly or they have some bond between the two of them. And that would make sense if then he went and named the ship after her. I mean, clearly she holds a special place in his heart. Do you have to make an appointment? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> You'd think they have to be summary, although from this it sounds like he just goes, you know, just shows up there. A waiting room? There's got to be, you know, you don't go in if there's a line out the door, you know. There's probably another another place you could go, another pipe shop. So then Nathaniel seductively bites his lip a little, <laughs> wipes some quote-unquote tears. I don't actually see any tears, but... Uh, no, I mean, it, it, it hits him. Yeah. He's never heard anything so um, so kind of heartfelt. <laughs> I look at it as, you know, in his, his fancy upbringing and his fancy lifestyle, I'm sure he's been to, like, you know, concerts, has had, you know, people, you know, play at events and things like that. But all of it is in the service of entertaining these obnoxious rich people. Mm. This is the first time he's gotten to experience someone who is just playing for themselves, playing from their heart, and not to entertain some brat. Which is exactly the sentiment explicitly in the Captain's Courageous scene where Manuel is coming up with the song uh, on the spot and the boy is questioning him and saying, what do you mean you're just coming up from it? And, he, and Manuel is just like, it's coming from my heart. It speaks from my heart. What do you mean it comes from your heart? Like he, he just can't wrap that around his little brain that it wouldn't be, you know, manufactured somewhere that you could just come up with the stuff on your, on a spot because he's presumably heartless and he's seeing someone with a heart. Yes, Exactly. All right, so then uh, Nathaniel comes in with, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. As Cappy drinks a beer, quenching his thirst after his song. In an article from CBC News, January 20th, 2014, there was an online competition for the most beautiful sound in the world. And the winner, which they entitled A Symphony of Life, was a field recording of frogs singing in a swamp in Sarawak, Malaysia. I did listen to it. I mean, it was fine. Sounds like, <laughs> like some frogs. Spotify has a playlist called The Most Beautiful Songs in the World. I found it to be incredibly mediocre and not particularly <laughs> beautiful. What are any of those songs about prostitutes? I, I have another list. Oh, do you? What do you have? Charlotte the Harlot, Roxanne, Maggie May by the Beatles, Honky Tonk Women by the Rolling Stones, Island Girl by Elton John, Call Me by Blondie, Killer Queen by Queen, When the Sun Goes Down by Arctic Monkey. I just did prostitute songs. It's a beautiful moment, regardless of what the message of the lyrics is with your guys' twisted minds. <laughs> 
versus <laughs> just the song of a, a of a simple uh, exchange of money for services. Yeah, she could have been a dry cleaner. She just happens to clean pipes. <laughs> just happens to clean pipes. Like, Cappy is a capitalist. I mean, what it comes did. down to. <laughs> well, so, something we didn't talk about that. This is like foreshadowing in the song, the clean the pipes line. Yes. Oh. Yeah. In the commentary, which will also bridge my philosophical pondering for today. So regarding it being a cult status, this is what Resnick says. Chris and I, you know, are conflicted. We don't understand and will never know really what the movie is. But there are some people, I think, that like it. Some people like it. Because, oh, it's so bad, it's good. And then there's, um, and then you get Chris Elliott. Well, it was such a turning point in our lives that it's a different thing to us than it is to people watching it. So I present the question for us. What is this movie? So when you're saying what is it, are we talking about the quality of movie, the type of movie? Is it a movie or some other type of art? Like, what, what, are you, what are you driving at there? I would say we have analyzed this movie more than anyone on the planet. Yes. Mm-hmm. So with our research and full immersion so far, what is this movie? I mean, is it just a movie? To them, the movie is a piece of shit. Right. Right. They they look at it as this this piece of crap that they made that was tremendously damaging that for some reason other people enjoy and they can't look at it as a kind of cogent piece of filmmaking. They just look at it and they see that everything that went wrong, they see, you know, all the negatives about it. So fine, that would be one way to define it, right? As a just say a shitty movie. Right. What is this movie? It's a shitty movie, possibly one of the worst movies ever made. That could be one answer to that question to some people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just want to lean on our experience thus far being 41 minutes into this movie and say to ourselves, you know, what is this movie? Some of the things that pop up to me. This surrealism, Dadaism, that overarching just weirdness about it that is popped up not just in Hell's Bucket, but again, to go back, you know, these statements of somebody's daddy's missing a leg and just the whole pretense of the movie. It's absurd. So that's one kind of lens through which to look at it. Furthermore, As we've picked it apart and looked at all the discrete pieces of it, whether it's the dartboard or the fudgesicles or other various things that have come up that had these 1930s ties, be it uh, other ties like we were talking about with Chalky and the tiger shark and the connection to Hawaiian legends. And, you know, all of it, it does make more sense than it should. Mm -hmm. And. There's something higher operating that needs to be uh, acknowledged or formalized into a a tight little package to describe what this movie is. Even if it's called like an anti-movie, it's the opposite of what a movie is and does. And that's what it is. 
and in all that is all these different concepts, right? It's kind of like the anti-movie stuff. It's the traditional movie stuff. It's absurdist comedy. It's, you know, standard comedy. Chris getting hit in the face by the thing. It's, uh, you know, all the kind of little historical bits that tie the whole thing together that give you the through line. It's the themes that occur of your sort of pseudo hero's journey that's there. All those things are thrown into it, that like kitchen sink approach. So normally that gets pared down. And in this case, that didn't happen. So you end up with this movie that there's a sort of like chaotic embodiment to it that is brought along and it forces you to set aside, you know, as we've said, right? It takes all your expectations and says no. And it's not so much an anti-movie, maybe. It's just it's a movie that's in a whole, not necessarily a whole different form, but a different form than what had previously kind of existed saying we're making something that is completely stepping to the side of the lane in which your movies are going to be. You're driving down the middle of the street, we're on the fucking sidewalk. You know, like we're, we're, we're taking a, a, a different path. Yeah. Right. It, it would be cleaner to call it an anti-movie, which is what I'm trying to do, because then you could just try to pull things out and say, this is what a movie would, would do, this is what we did. But I, I do agree with what you're presenting that it is kind of this mishmash of maybe a little bit of that, but also these other elements, and it's just all kind of crammed together, which makes it hard to label. And that's why I guess I do go back to like Dadaism, surrealism, because that was kind of the heart of that. The second you're going exactly opposite to the trend, you're also creating your own kind of logical trend as well. And this is like illogical. Which makes it impossible to define, so maybe it is an impossible answer, which also lends itself to being attacked. And if you can't easily kind of label it and say, oh, it falls into this genre, you know, like Mm -hmm. comedy doesn't quite sum it up either. No, it's not constrained to the kind of traditional definitions of, you know, what we would consider like a comedy or a drama or an adventure or something like that. It contains elements of all those things and then elements that don't fit into any of those things. And if you're unwilling to accept that, you don't know what to do with it, right? And then you end up in a situation where you're just looking at it and saying, this doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. This is a piece of shit because I don't understand it. But if you're willing to have all those disparate elements be there if you're not questioning why you have these things sitting next to each other, you know, floating cupcakes and songs about S.E. May, then it opens up the ability to appreciate all these different parts of it. Can we just answer this? If the question is, what is this movie? The answer is, this movie is art. Or maybe it's not even a movie. It's more art than movie. I agree with both of those. I can concur with that. There's no argument that can be made. or that I mean, you can make an argument, but I wouldn't agree with it. <laughs> How's that? Your <laughs> argument would be wrong. <laughs> That's art. Uh-huh. Who wins the scene? Cappy. 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 But best supporting actor to Nathaniel here. The raw emotion coming out of him during his uh, listening to Cappy's tune. Any video game or theatrical uh, production ideas? Uh, I would like to see a limited edition Cabin Boy concertina controller that you could use <laughs> both to play SE Bay and actually just play the entire game. Right. It's a, it's a $400 concertina <laughs> controller. 
You can only use it in like two minutes of gameplay. <laughs> Gags per minute. I got uh, seven. Number one, here, have some coffee. Number two, skunk laughing like an asshole. Number three, paps, you're such a little card. Number four, where is that naughty captain? Number five is the moon face. Number six is just the song. Number seven is Nathaniel's tears. And then that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I did wind up with seven as well. So number one, here, have some coffee. Number two, all of them laughing. Number three is Nathaniel's hug and the naughty captain line. Number four, the moon. Number five, I just wanted to give another one for the fish stick kitty that uh, is on the plate. Number six, the Essie May song. And then number seven is his crying and most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Okay, well... This is possibly unprecedented, I don't know, but I also had a GPM of seven. I had the coffee spray, calling Paps a little card, Naughty Captain, the song, and then as a minor addition, I had Nathaniel listening to the song, just his whole reaction to that, the most beautiful line, and then uh, one for the moon as well. So we have a unanimous GPM of seven, and... uh, In a way, this works out because the winner of GPM this week, there are three items that come along with winning GPM. The winner gets a Honer 20-key Anglo-style concertina, a copy of Pirate Songs for Concertina, and a copy of Sea Songs for the 20-button Anglo concertina, both by Gary Coover. So I don't know if it makes more sense for us to split the three items amongst ourselves or for the items to rotate so we can each learn how to play the concertina, you know, one by one. Can you just, like, pick that up easily? I mean, it's pretty light. It shouldn't be too hard to pick it up. (laughs) Mostly air. It's like a pipe. It's hollow. And if it's not, we know where to go to clean it up. Mm -hmm. Funny, not funny. 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 Look at that. The spraying of the coffee is amusing. The song is great. And then just Nathaniel reacting to the song. It's good stuff. I don't know if it's the most beautiful song I ever heard, but it's a great little tune. Yes, you may. Agreed. Thank you very much for joining us here on Cabin Boy Minute. Minute 41. We will see you next week on Minute 42. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us on Cabin Boy Minute. Please help spread the word, tell your friends about us, and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice. Check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action, details on how to support the pod, or leave us a message. Or find us on Twitter at at CabinBoyMinute. We look forward to joining you again next week. Bon voyage!